We're in a series called Equipped by the Spirit, and this week uh, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, for those of you that like to use the Bibles that are in the, in the rows, that's gonna, we're going to be in page 1093, 1093. So you can turn to that. Uh, the verses will be on the screen as well. But, uh, you know, there's something good about just having God's Word open in front of you. And, and looking at it. So I want to encourage you to grab one of those Bibles and turn to page 1093 if you didn't bring your own. Um, so, uh, so far as we've been in Galatians, uh, what we've seen is that Paul, if you remember, had preached to the Gentile folks in Galatia. Uh, he had told them the good news about Jesus uh, and salvation in Jesus Christ and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Many of them had not only received it, but they were growing in their faith. But if you recall from the past weeks, at some point in all of that, in all that progress, some people called Judaizers or legalists uh, showed up from Jerusalem, and they began to try and convince these new followers of Jesus that, that faith in Jesus alone was not enough. That, that, that wasn't going to do it. But but that salvation actually also required them to become circumcised Jews and basically then become followers of the Mosaic Law. Uh, apparently, they were convincing enough, persuasive enough, that a significant number of these new followers of Jesus were deceived by this false teaching and went along with it. The problem was one of spiritual maturity. Although these followers of Jesus were, they were physically, you know, right? Physically, they were adults. Spiritually, they were immature. They were immature. They were like young children. They lacked the spiritual maturity, causing them to be deceived. And as a result, to reject the freedom that they had found in Jesus, this, this new covenant based on faith, and grace, and replace it with the old covenant, the law, with all of its restrictions and rules and checklists. So before we go any further, let's read a portion of today's scripture. We're going to read Galatians 4, verses 1 to 7. It starts out and it says, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until a time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the spirit who calls out Abba father so you are no longer a slave but God's child and since you are God's child God has made you also an heir have you ever thought about why God sent Jesus to earth at the particular time that he did? You ever wondered, you know, I mean, it, he could have sent Jesus 
years earlier. He could have sent him centuries later. He could have sent him right now. But he, but he chose. Why do you think God chose to send Jesus at that particular time? You know what? <laughs> that is actually the exact answer. We need no further ideas. <laughs> he sent him because it says right in Scripture, didn't it? It said, but when the set time had fully come. Look, you and I may not know every reason that was in God's mind, but what we know is God, Jesus didn't just show up like randomly. There was a set time that had been established since the creation of the world for Jesus to come. And in that fullness of time, at a particular time in physical history, God sent Jesus. Now, from what we might say, okay, but can we figure out, can we think of just any other reasons? Well, one some things we do know about that particular set time was that during that period of history, the Romans had ushered in an era of relative peace. So, so there was kind of a, an ability to move around and you know everybody wasn't fighting everybody all the time, okay? The Romans had also uh, uh, built a network of roads that were quite good, well, the best ever up until that point in time. And those Roman highways then made the idea of travel far more convenient. And so the idea of being able for missionaries, you know, to, for Paul and people to travel and be able to take the word of God around, it, it made that far easier. Uh, there, was a, there was actually widespread use of the Greek language uh, that had permeated uh, a lot of the known world. And so it made it a lot easier to communicate than it had ever been before. And one other thing we know is that at that point in history, there had been up till then a lot of pagan and false religions that had left a lot of folks feeling empty and hungering for something genuine. In addition to that, if you think about that moment in time, uh, we're talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, under the law, the Jewish people had had almost 1,500 years since the Mosaic law had been given to them. 1,500 years to live under the law. Even in all that time. And the generations of opportunities to try and living, to, to live according to it, no one had ever been able to fully succeed in pleasing God by living according to the law's requirements. It was impossible to keep all of the law. The fact is, the law, while it's full of good counsel, can we all agree? The law is full of good counsel for life, and it is God's standard for us. That law was impossible for people to keep without ever breaking one of its requirements. So, there was a need. There was that moment in time, and people were ready. So the question for us today then becomes, look, we, we need, we don't want to be deceived by people who are trying to take away and steal our freedom, do we? No. Okay, so what we want to look at today is then how do we become spiritually mature to be equipped 
to live in spiritual freedom. So the first thing we've got to do to, to be able to live that way is to receive God's inheritance. Verses 1 through 7, when we read them a moment ago, made it really clear that we were all born into bondage and sin and we needed a way to be made right before God. We were separated from God. We needed a way to be made right before God. The law was not going to be that way since no one could keep it. Since, but God, through sending his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, has provided redemption for us. It's, he paid the price so that we too can be reconciled. We can be made right before God and that that allowed us then to become his sons and daughters and spiritual heirs. As a result, to receive our spiritual inheritance, we've got to become a follower of Jesus. There's only one way. If you, if any of you have ever, anybody ever received any kind of inheritance? You know, it could have been a lot, could have been a little. Okay, but a little, okay, some inheritance. Okay, it wasn't just given to anybody, was it? It was left to a son or a daughter or spouse, a family member. It was, it, was, it was intentional. And if we want to receive what God has for us, then we've got to be in the family. And so this, by Jesus coming, it, it allowed us, because he was born under the law, but he redeemed it, right, by his death, burial, and resurrection so that now we can come to him by grace and faith. And that allows us as followers of Jesus then to be his sons and daughters. And because we are a son or a daughter, we are also an heir. And, and we are legitimate recipients of what he has for us. So look, as a result, to receive that spiritual inheritance to become a follower of Jesus. And then additionally, we want to be able to keep God's commands. We want, to, uh, we want to fully maximize what God has for us. If we want to do that, we also, along with being a follower of Jesus, we want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as well as seeking God's wisdom so that we actually understand the value of our inheritance. No matter your age, when you became a follower of Jesus, as far as your condition was concerned, you were an infant. You were a spiritual infant who needed to grow. You could have been 60 years old when you became a follower of Jesus. At that moment, you were a spiritual infant. 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. New believers are spiritual infants, even if they're physically adults, okay? However, that was your condition. However, as far as your position is concerned, when you come to be a follower of Jesus, you become immediately an adult heir. You become an adult heir. Who can, and think about that. As an adult heir, you can then immediately, instantly draw on your father's wealth, your father's wisdom, your father's blessings, 
and your father's protection. You can exercise all the privileges and rights of being a son or daughter. Now, you might think of it this way. We, we enter God's family by, we talk about being born again, by being, becoming a follower of Jesus. Some people call that regeneration. We become regenerated. We become new by becoming a follower of Jesus. But we enjoy being a part of God's family by adoption. God has adopted us. He chose us. And he loves us. Galatians 4, 7 says, So you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child... God has made you also an heir. So, question for you. What does adoption mean for a follower of Jesus? Then? What, what, practically, what does that mean for us since we've been adopted? We are chosen. That is right. We are chosen. We're not, we're not the leftovers. We were chosen. We are part of the family. And we are an equal part of the family. That is so good. And, we're, and we are loved. We are chosen and loved. And an equal part of the family. You know, that term adoption is actually, it has legal meaning. Okay? It's a legal term. And that part of that legal term says that when you've been adopted, you have the same legal status as a biological child. You're not, you're not half as good. You're not, well, we'll let you in. You are as if you had been born into that family. Okay, and so we are God's child, which means we have full access to God, which means that he's more than just a provider. He's our father who loves us. So the first step, in being equipped for freedom, to walking in freedom, is to receive God's inheritance by becoming a follower of Jesus. The second step to becoming equipped to live in that spiritual freedom is to become spiritually mature. So that the second reason is so we don't fall for scams. We don't fall for scams. Let's read Galatians 4, 8 through 20. It said, formerly... When you did not know God, you were slaves by those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. That's Paul. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel for you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God and as if I were Jesus Christ himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you had done so, uh, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. How... how uh, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. 
What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good. To be so always, not just when I am with you. Dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed to you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. He's perplexed because people who have received the grace and the faith and the love and the blessings of becoming an heir have tra- are trading that back to go say, no, no, we'll go live under the law. Which has proven to be a f- uh, impossible for over 1,500 years. And yet they've been talked into going backwards. Look, the enemy, the enemy wants to rob you of your spiritual inheritance. The enemy is not happy that you are a child of God, that you are a son or daughter of God. And I need to make sure you understand something really well. The enemy is good at his job. Don't ever think that he's not good at his job. Last Tuesday night, we had about 30 people join us for a stay safe seminar. Uh, A crime prevention specialist from the police department taught about some of the most common forms of scams, many of them financial, in fact, and about how to recognize them and to avoid them. Interestingly, uh, she asked a question, and and if I recall correctly, you know, she, she basically asked everyone in the room, how many of you have been approached, you know, in person, by phone, by email, in some form or way, by a scammer. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I believe just about everybody, if not everyone in the room, raised their hands, you know, because, I mean, we've all gotten that call, right, for something, okay, or an email. Okay, uh, and so basically everybody, and, and a few even kind of acknowledge that they'd come pretty close to losing some money. Okay? Fortunately, I don't think anybody actually did. But here's the thing, and this is what the crime prevention specialist repeatedly said. Scammers are really, really good at what they do. They tell a good story. They make it sound reasonable, plausible, logical. They make it sound like something that you would want to do. And you'll only recognize it as a scam, first of all, if you don't, if you kind of take a breath, think about it, and then start to ask some questions. Also, if you actually know the truth. Okay? And and so it's when you dig in a little bit that you start to uncover the lies and inconsistencies. Scams kind of almost always appeal to a right motive. I want to help my grandchild. I want to, you know, grandma, I'm in trouble. You know, I want to help my grandchild. I I, I don't want a virus on my computer. So, yes, I'll give you access. You know, I mean, it's, it's... it's, it's right motives, but it's wrong methods, right? 
Okay, and, and this is what happened in Galatia when the Judaizers, when the legalists came and they told these new followers of Jesus that their faith alone was not enough. That they also needed to be circumcised if they wanted to be real Christians. They, they made it sound like that their way was a requirement to be saved. Now, before we say, well, that's silly. I mean, who would buy that? You know, I think there's actually something in, I think all of us, or most of us, there's something that kind of tempts us to believe that we need to add something to God's perfect plan of salvation. I mean, think about it. Have you ever thought to yourself, like, you know, as you're living your life, uh, man, you know, if I, if I just read a few more Bible verses every day, if I just read my Bible a little more every day, or maybe if I just prayed, you know, a little more regularly every day, at 10 a.m. or, you know, whenever, or, or around Christmas time, you know, oh, you know, uh, God would be pleased. I'm going to read the Christmas story every morning, you know, during the month of December. I mean, you can pick what it is, okay? But I think everything I named are all good things to do. Would we all agree? If, I read, if you read your Bible more, that would, that's a good thing to do. If you prayed more, that's a good thing to do. If you want to read the Christmas story every morning of December, it's a good thing to do. But here's the thing. There is not one single thing that you and I can do that will make ourselves more acceptable to God except for our faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable. It's only faith in Jesus that accomplishes that. So now, these guys that came and were lying to the folks in Galatia, these false teachers, I want to ask you a question about that. What are some signs of false teaching? How can we recognize it? Yeah. Okay, it seems good, but but what are some signs of it so that we can become questioning and not be fooled by it? You don't have peace. Okay. The list never ends. The list never ends. I think you need to recognize when you look at that list and you see all these things, some kind of picture that's going to be away from God because I have this theory of yeah. that I need to follow. That's They're pushing me away, not bringing me closer. Good. It can sound too good to be true. You bet. There are all these things. You know, there. There, is a, there are some common signs, <clears throat> there are some common signs, right, and some common themes to scams or, and I mean physical scams, like the things we talked about a minute ago, money things, but also spiritual scams as well, right? There, because usually, think about it, there, there's kind of an attempt to attract people, to attract followers away from what it is they currently believe to this other person. These Judaizers, these legalists, were actually trying to turn the people from the teachings of Paul to what they taught. They, they were kind of like trying to build their own group. And uh, in your mind, you not right. So, but, but that's what they're doing. And usually part of what, if you think about it in, in a lot of cults and false teachings, right, part of it is they say, but I have this special knowledge. <laughs> I have this thing that only I know. 
God has revealed this to me, but not to anyone else. Okay? So there's a special, that's usually, a, that's a good sign of a problem, okay? And, the, but they're trying to draw attention to themselves and to whatever special thing it is that they know that no one else knows, rather than simply to the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. A true servant of God, a true servant of God, does not use people to build up themselves or their ministry. Rather, they minister in love and help other people to better know Jesus and to glorify God. If that's not the focus, if that's not what's happening, if it's anything else, red flags should go up. So in fact, this legalism that they were calling for was a step backward for these followers. This wasn't a step forward. This wasn't bringing them closer to God. This was going to take them further away. Now, look, I, again, I, I don't, it's easy for us to sit and look at this from you know, our comfortable chairs and say, well, those people, how foolish could you be? Right? I mean, it's, it's easy to do that and kind of go, well, I wouldn't fall for that. But I just, wanna, I, I just want us to not become uh, pride, proud, prideful in this because, again, what kind of makes it appealing is that legalism can actually kind of feel good. It can, be, it can kind of feel attractive and kind of feel good because most of us in our lives feel like we need to do things in order to fix things, right? We, we need to, like, get busy and do something, make something happen. Well, okay, it, it's, that, it, it, it's that checklist, then it kind of feels good. Because you know what? If I can go check, 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 you know. Now, the checklist was 1,500 things long. And if I don't do one of them, it's as if I didn't do any of them. Right? You've got to be perfect or it's worthless. Okay? But when you check a few, it feels kind of good. Right? It feels kind of good. And, but here's what's even worse. Okay? Is... I mean, it's kind of good, you know, because we can measure these external results and it kind of feels like a scorecard. And who doesn't like to say, look at my scorecard? <laughs> look at my scorecard. Okay, but, but here's the problem is let's say you do kind of good for a day or two and you check off and you go, hey, look at my scorecard. Let me see your scorecard. Yeah. Oh, you didn't do as well. Now all of a sudden I'm judging you. And I'm filling up with pride. Hey, I did pretty well. God, I'm doing all right here. Not them so much. Do you under, no, do you, do you see? Yeah. We, 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 start, we start to compare. We start to judge. We start to evaluate. And I start to say, well, I can't hang out with you because, you know, I, I do five a day. You're only, you must not be trying. You're doing two. Aren't you glad God doesn't look at us that way? Aren't you glad that God loves you just as much on your worst day as he does on your best? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that on my worst day, you still love me and you hear my prayers and you, and you desire to be my Abba Father and be close to me on my worst day. We all get it on our good day, right? I mean, I get it on the good day, right? You know, when I get on, you know, I wear clothes that, you know, are right and I acting right and I haven't said anything bad and I'm, you know, I'm behaving myself and I have, you know, I mean, I've read my Bible 
and everything's good, you kind of go, well, I get why God might hear me today, but on, there's days that all of us are a mess. There's all of us for days, no matter how hard we try, we have said some things and done some things and, and, and thought some things that do not honor God. And I'm so thankful to know that we love a God and he is our father enough that even on our worst day when we mess up terribly, he still loves us. He still loves us. So we don't want to deal with the false teaching, okay, uh, because we certainly don't want to get caught up in pride, but we also don't want to get caught up in this law-keeping regimen that's an unbearable yoke, and it's impossible to keep even for the best among us, right? You know, that's, it's like the old joke about let's all line up on one side of the Grand Canyon and let's run and we'll jump to the other side. You may get three feet, I may get six feet, but we're still all going to fall in, right? I mean, even the best among us is not going to make it. And I mean, so let's, let's not get into that game because everybody fails. Acts 15, 10 and 11 says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved, just as they are. So, so not, to not fall for spiritual scams or false teaching, you and I need to be reading God's word daily. Best way to know something false is to know what's true. Right? I'll never be smart enough to know all the scams, but I can start to go, huh, I think one of you said, doesn't, this doesn't smell right, doesn't feel right, doesn't sound right. Something's off. Why? I know that because I know the truth. And it says in Scripture that the truth sets me free. Okay? So, so we should be reading God's Word daily. We should be praying and asking God for wisdom in our lives so that, so that we would perceive and be aware of these things. And we ought to try to live our lives every day in ways that honor and glorify Him. And additionally... We should always remember that we have all we need in Jesus Christ. It, our salvation is not based on Jesus Christ and. And. It's based on Jesus Christ. Finally, to be equipped with spiritual freedom that we want to live that way is we need to choose to live as a child of promise. Let's read the last bit of our scripture today. That's Galatians 4. 21 to 31, it says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. The son by the slave woman was according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are to be taken figuratively. The, woman, the women represent two covenants. One, the covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This was Hagar. And now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai and Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. But she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is her mother. For it is written, be glad, barren women, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
At that time, the son boarding, uh, born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. We are a child of promise. What, what is the promise that they're talking about here? What is the promise? Freedom. Freedom. By salvation by faith, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. In this passage, Paul uses the, this biblical account of the births of Ishmael and Isaac to represent slavery and oppression that comes from life under the law. Okay. Ishmael's birth to Hagar, a slave woman, right, representing him to be born into slavery and never to be free versus the freedom of living under the freedom of grace that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. That was Isaac's birth as a child of promise to the free woman, Sarah. Truth is, Ishmael was never God's plan for Abraham and Sarah. As a result, God's plan for his people could not be fulfilled through Ishmael. Some years later, when Isaac was born, his presence now created tension between the slave child and the child of promise who was free. This is precisely the spiritual tension created by those living under the law and those living under grace. Just as it was impossible for both Ishmael and Isaac to remain in one house, it's impossible for the law and grace, the flesh and the spirit, to compromise and stay together. You just can't do it. We, we can't earn our salvation as well as receive it by grace. It's one or the other. God, God didn't say that Hagar and Ishmael should leave but come back occasionally for a visit. I mean, do you understand? He didn't say, well, you guys got to leave. You can't live here, but, you know, come back for the holidays. They had to be cast out permanently. And that's why the law and grace, you can't compromise them together. The Judaizers, the legalists in Paul's day, were trying to make peace and reconcile between Hagar and Sarah. Ishmael and Isaac, to bring them back into the same house. This attempted reconciliation was actually contrary to the word of God. It is impossible to mix law and grace. It's impossible. You can't mix law and grace. You can't faith along with faith and works. I mean, or, or if, if you do, or God's gift of righteousness and man's attempt to earn salvation, to earn righteousness. You just, they, those, it's like oil and water. They do not mix. You know, God never gave the law to any other nation other than Israel. He never gave it to another people. And, you know, he never gave it to his church. He never gave it to the church. For the Judaizers to attempt to impose the law on the Galatian Christians was for them to oppose, to stand in opposition to the plan of God. So... For us to become equipped to live in spiritual freedom, 
We need to fully embrace our call to live as a child of promise. Would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? You know, as we get ready to close, the, the law created a list of spiritual standards to live by, right? It's a checklist, all these things. Those standards have always provided sound direction. Actually, they provide sound direction for living a holy and healthy life. That's never changed, and it's true today. The problem came when people started worshiping those standards, when they started holding them and thinking that they were spiritually uh, free and reconciled to God by obeying them and then judging others on the basis of those standards. To the contrary, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, tells us, for it is by grace that you've been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It's nothing you can do. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Today, just bow our heads for a minute, okay? Today, if you've realized that even though you were saved by grace, that you are occasionally judging others by the law, and you want to confess that to God and repent of it, just raise your hand. Okay, thank you. However, today, if you're also ready to say, no, what I want to do is I want to live each and every day fully as a child of promise. Raise your hand. Yeah, that's all of us, isn't it? Lord, today you see, you've seen our hands and you know our hearts. And Lord, today, if we've lived uh, from a position of judgment, Lord, uh, using the law uh, to uh, measure other people against, rather, Lord, than loving them and understanding that we are all saved by grace. Lord, today we confess it to you. We repent of it. And Lord, we just leave that at the foot of the cross and ask you to cover that with your precious blood and just renew us and refresh us. But Lord, today we also come before you as children of the Most High God. We are sons and daughters of God. We are heirs. And so today... Lord, we just say, we are children of promise. We are children of promise. And we praise your name for that. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Now let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.